You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Dan Shearer at 12 noon on Friday interviewed um, Chris Nanos. And um, it was a train wreck, like we thought. Um, I like when I like when Dan asks him about why he wants a new jail and blow the whole thing up and whatever, right? He, I love his condescending. This is Dan Shearer, right? This is not an eleven-year-old, right? And he goes, you know, Dan, I'll start real easy for you. That's what he said. I'm like, this is this is not like teaching a nine-year-old about quantum physics, right? This is a guy who knows more about what's going on in this this region than Chris Nano. So I'll start real easy for you. Imagine if you said that to someone in the day and age. If I if you said that to a woman, they'd be little like, "You're Philly. condescending to me, little Philly." Let me start. Yeah, off. <laughs> let me start off real easy I, for you. I, I always want to go into our foghorn, right? Now let me start real easy for you, boy. Real Using easy. One-syllable words. You may be a chicken hawk. Um, so he says that there, uh, he starts talking about the Albuquerque had this riot at their jail in the last couple of years. And he starts, how many, s- I wonder how many fatalities, they, how many deaths they had in their Let jail. Let me start real easy with the Albuquerque travesty. Okay. Um, so he talks about all these things about how they had these problems and they're understaffed or overworked morales and the crapper, blah, blah, blah. And CEOs are falling as CEO, excuse me, CEOs are correction officers are falling asleep on the job because they're working like 20 hour shifts because they're understaffed right he goes well that's what's happening at our jail he just admitted that they're overworked overstaffed under uh, sorry, understaffed and they're working 20 hour sheeps ship shifts and they're falling asleep he said that so chad casmar just said admitted last week he doesn't have enough cops to cover tucson to provide safety and then this guy provide says that his his dudes are falling asleep i mean Okay. Um, so when Dan brings up the um, oh, so in the memo, Jan put Jan Lesher talking. Uh, it was a memo about the Blue Ribbon Committee. Of course, Blue Ribbon Committees are great places where good ideas go to die, right? And um, that's my words. Uh, but so Dan mentions the idea that she wants to talk about look reviewing and changing the policies of how things are going at the jail, right? And he was like, it's not like he didn't take that as like, I kind of suck and we need to figure out how to do it better. He's like, oh, yeah, we're just kind of overview. And I know he brought up even a team of correction science or whatever. He, it was just great. So Dan brings up Luminaria thing that his his per capita death rate is higher than any jail, the average in America. And he's, he actually is putting the shame on the death, uh, the death rate, uh, Rikers Island. Yes. The one you've seen in all the movies. And of course, all your law and orders you're binging every day. He, he could you explain Dan, Dan talks about how his per capita death sure, yeah. is higher than Rikers Island. Yeah. Okay. Which, uh, conservative talk radio host, uh, did a shock month jock, or so ago. Shock, shock, shock. Thank you. Uh, so literally he says, other jails aren't as transparent as him. That's the problem. They got what, way more. Just saying he's busy. <laughs> like, oh, that inmate is busy. They can't. <laughs> they like it here. That's why we're not. Again. And then, of course, we already talked about with Liz, right, that he blamed COVID, right, the killing thing. But we've already learned that one of the COVID deaths he lied about. At least one of them, clearly. So he's lied about the COVID deaths, but these other people aren't transparent. Then he talks about fentanyl. He says fentanyl's not his fault, right? Well, not in the general, you know, thing right so he literally says he has a 200 sorry two hundred fifty thousand dollar x-ray machine this is this is dan if you're listening let me know if i'm wrong okay he said 
We have 18 to 19 year olds running a quarter million dollar machine with seven weeks of training. And it's just hard for them to find stuff. That's what he said. Um, then he talks about two of their deaths. The people were so crazy, right? That they So he blames that they were crazy because they were eating their own fecal matter and other things, right? Excuse me while we're... I should have said before you were eating your cream of wheat here. Uh, and then... He talked about how the courts delayed their... So these are people... One guy, he said, was arrested for ripping off a bicycle from an industrial yard, right? And then what happened was they found that he was kind of... Had real mental problems, but the court delayed his appearance for six months, right? Because they, him and his lawyer pleaded not guilty. And he says, you know, if he just pleaded guilty, he probably wouldn't back on the street. Sure. <laughs> Of course, that'd make things simpler for everybody, wouldn't it? <laughs> so then Dan brings up David Igeta, okay? And David is the real District 2 supervisor. This is Matt Hines' chief of staff. He's the guy who does the job. He's been around forever over there, okay? He does the job while Matt's eating bagels in the back because he doesn't want to get yelled at by the dirty little citizens, okay? He was watching the television. All right, that's true, Okay. So, Higeta says basically he, uh, this is a Igeta. This is, this is not even Matt sending it. This is Igeta sending it to Jan Lesher. So, if you want proof that David Igeta wears the pants in that office, this is it. He literally went right past Heinz and sent it to Jan. Okay. Not those kind of black panty pants either. He just wears pants. Okay. It's a, it's a, I'm sure that's binary. I'm in trouble. Patty at bussosmedia.com. Now, uh, so, um, so he gets basically says that the uh, employees are bringing in the jail, uh, are bringing in the drugs, and it's Nanos's fault. That's what he says. Dan's gonna send me the email, but Dan, Dan mentioned this, read the email on the air, okay. And so Nanos is like, well, uh, that used to be the case, but now it's not. I The only thing I wish Dan would ask, again, Dan, I'm just being nitpicky hindsight, is when did you when did you change your, quote, stance on this? Was it after Igeta called you out that all your, that your employees, he's like, well, you know, these guys used to come in with their backpacks because they got to have their lunch and their dinner and blah, blah, blah. So now we don't have black backpacks. Oh, and, and we got the clear bag policy like they do at U of A games. <laughs> so then he says, patting down employees and having the drug dog sniff him is bad for morale, which is going to make things worse. I, I, literally, he said that. Well, is it, aren't we supposed to make this a no drug zone? I mean, aren't you the, I mean, you're the number one problem. Morale sucks because you and your cabal are usually a bunch of jerks. Okay. But now you're saying, well, you know, we got to do this. We, we, you know, it's kind of like uh, Kramer. I'm going to stop talking now. That's what he literally Dan's like. Oh, he's like, well, that used to be the case. The employees used to bring in backpacks, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we can't, ca he literally said, can't catch everything that comes through. Why not? So literally, here's the other problem, Chris. Your employees don't respect you or care about you. That's why they keep sneaking things in. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you, so think about this. Yeah, we've watched, how many movies about guys in prisons have we watched? A zillion, right? Escape from Alcatraz, Shawshank, whatever. Uh, Goodfellas, right? Remember they were getting all that good, uh, the, the garlic they were cutting with the razor blade and the, the, and the vino and all that stuff. Well, it's still going on right now in 2023 in Chris Danos' jail. Wow. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to hurt morale, bro. They shouldn't be bringing drugs in, Chris. Just, uh, just a little tip. 
Um, he's saying, it's not saying you get us wrong. Oh, he also said for a while, they stopped attorney and family visits. You can only iPad with your client. Well, you know something? I, if I was that guy's attorney and I'm supposed to be kind of taking care of him, I kind of want to really see what's going on in the jail. Sure. And the families. Mm -hmm. Remember, this is the same guy who smoked the families, remember, when they were protesting on the deaths. That did happen. So then Dan asked him about Stone Garden. Good. He goes, we don't need it. Okay. Throw his words back at him, right? The... This is so he says fentanyl's coming through the ports. It's not coming through the desert, which is a lie too. It's coming through both. Whether it is or not, the overtime was for extra officers to find it in the country. So here, so here's the thing: he goes, well, they're giving me money so I can do their job. I'm not. It's not like I asked the border patrol. I'm not giving them Pima County money to make traffic stops. Talk about he literally excuses. said that. Wow. It wow. doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. <laughs> but this is where the goal. Here's the gold line. Here's the gold. He says, Stone Garden. And why we're not doing... This is the polit... This is politicizing the border. This is politicizing the border. That's what he had said. Right? Right? He, he, I don't want to participate in the politics of the border. You know, like he's he's like Mr. Joe Cop Purity over there, right? But ah, Shakespeare wrote it hundreds of years ago. I, there's the rub. Mm -hmm. Who in his Pima County Sheriff's Department uniform did a politicization of the border campaign commercial for the racist governor we have now? Thank you, Christopher DeSimone. Chris was sheriff, freaking Nanos. It was. It was. Mr. So politicized the border. He got on it's a projection. high horse on it's Dan. It's always projection, isn't it? Oh. It's always projection. He literally was like, I don't apologize. I'm above the fray on the politics of the border. You didn't even, she screwed you over. You didn't even get the DPS job. That's right. I couldn't wait for your DPS. Uh, I wonder if that's a confirmation hearing. Having uh, Dan, uh, having Chris Nanos go in front of uh, Mr. Hoffman. That'll be hilarious. So this, go listen to it. And just so I can point out, the Salarita PD using Stone Garden money found 100, pound, 100 pounds of fentanyl that was destined for our streets. And they, and they weren't going over, um, they weren't going over the, uh, uh, out in the desert. No, it, right? was, it was on the railroad tracks by the entrance to Quail Creek. That's what's amazing. That's why when, when he says, we're not sending my guys out into the desert to go get some drugs. What? And it probably did come in through the port. For all we know, it, it very well could have. Who knows? But it was right at Quail Creek. Anyone who's uh, intellectually honest will tell you that drugs are coming everywhere across that border. They're coming through the ports. They're coming on guys with ATVs. Uh, they're giving it to the illegal immigrants who are getting picked up by the 12-year-old in Nogales and his mom's Honda Civic. So, again... It could be coming in balloons by now, for all we know. Chris right? Nanos embarrassed himself. Oh, I don't know, again. Wow. But when he said... When I, when I, I, I listened to this. I listened to this interview instead of listening to my, my talk sports soccer from England today. This is what I do for this show. All right. But Dan did a nice job. But when he said, I don't, I'm not into the politicization of the border. And then I'm going, hey, Jack Wagon, you remember that commercial where you had your arms crossed next to the Valley Girl? And you're like, yeah, Katie's got, she's got a great plan for the border, bro. Yikes. Yikes. Dr. Nice. D. Filippo, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> 
What's our theme for today? Theme, actually, you know, we're going to pick up still on uh, rules for revolutionaries, and it's that issue of building redundancy. It's that concept of redundancy. Remember, you know, it's how the fish have adapted to more than one structure that serves the same purpose. So what we're going to be looking at here is all of the funding. I mean, look at this, $316,722,092 in COVID money is what Pima County received. $314 of COVID money. $316. Oh, 16, 16 I apologize. Million. Okay. So you want, we're, we're going to take a look at... Is Where did it the, all go, Joe? Well, let's take a look at some of this. <laughs> Three hundred sixteen million seven hundred twenty-two thousand eight hundred ninety-two dollars. Oh, that's ninety-two dollars. So, boy, your eyesight is bad as mine. Yes, okay. ma'am. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, COVID dollars. Joe's going to talk about where the hell did it all go? Yes, I yes. Chihuahua. We're hanging out with Doctor D. Filippo. She just gave us our uh, latest uh, update of COVID funding that's been blown out through Pima County. Just over $316 million. Yes, however, I do want to make note. Uh, yes. If you go on to the county administrator's website, you'll see a memo there dated February 6, 2023. Yes. And she does give a little bit more of an update. She says, in total, Pima County has received well over $325 million of COVID-19-related federal assistance to respond to the primary effects of the pandemic, as well as to support the ongoing recovery of the community. But this is interesting. She says, a variety of ARPA, which is the American Rescue, okay, um, uh, and that the projects that the board approved on December 21, 2021 focus additional pandemic funding on the continued process of response and recovery in Pima County. So then what I did, I went back to the Pima County Recovers website, which, and, I, which and, I actually... And, and on this thing, she says it's actually 325. Yeah, yes. Yes. So. so we go somewhere between, uh, I'd venture to say it really is 325. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So it's about an additional 10 million more. Okay. What's 10 million amongst friends? Yeah. What the heck? All right. <laughs> What's 10 million when you have a budget of 1.9 billion, right? Okay. So let's take a look. Let's go back and take a look at the Pima County federal COVID funding by category. Yeah. Okay. Now, and this is based on the 316 million. Okay. Economic recovery received 69.7 mil. I'm rounding these up. Eviction prevention. Where did that go? 70 million went oh, to Oh, we're going to take a look at this in a minute. Economic recovery. Economic recovery. Okay. Say, say basically 70 mil. Eviction prevention utility assistance came in at 39.8 mil. Infrastructure came in at 9.5 mil. And public health came in at $197 million. Now, I do recall looking at the list, and I believe I did a calculation on the actual direct public health programs, not these fly-by-night things that they claimed were public health. And if I recall correctly, we did this on the show. Wasn't it something like only 11.3% of COVID money was really for public health as it relates to COVID? I think that's the number... So I remember something like that. So what happened was I decided, okay, let me dig a little bit deeper into this website. And I'm now going to take a look at economic recovery. Now, remember, this is about $70 million in economic recovery. Economic recovery based on COVID. Okay, let's take a look at this. Attractions and tourism. I mean, you're looking at just 
$132,000, it says basically Old Tucson Studios. But we know when we add up Old Tucson Studios, they received $4 million in economic recovery. Why? Because we went in and we rehabbed that entire place before the new lessee took over their contract. It wasn't even operational. It was in between operators. Yes. You are correct. And that's because who had it previously? The, the Diamond Kids. Okay. And who did we uh, um, uh, absolve them having to pay the past due rent? It was over $50,000? Possibly the Diamond Kids. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we absolved all that debt. We said, oh, go away. Yeah, we'll let you out of your contract early. You don't have to pay the rent that you owe the county. And oh, by the way, we're going to get a new operator in there. But we're going to spend $4 million on that county property. And we're going to call it an economic recovery. The only thing I can say is this. I hope to goodness that that house, the federal house, goes in and starts doing quality evaluations, compliance review of where COVID money has gone. I'm with you. There's, so I'm looking at this thing, right? So you have the various things. I see. Uh, did Rito get any of this money? No. Right. Zero. So, <laughs> zero. Point so it went zero. to Colossal zero. Cave. I don't even know if anyone goes to Colossal Cave anymore. Uh, we got Aho. We got, uh, is that say golf? Aho golf. Fairgrounds Muscleman Racetrack. That was only, f- well, they, here's $500. What the hell is that yeah. for? Uh, I mean, look Pima at this. Airspace. Kino Stadium District Parking, $3 million. Where in the world does that, what does that have to do with economic recovery due to a COVID no pandemic? No one goes there anymore, right? I mean, So would you like to know what the rationale on that one was? Please. Because they had people driving through to do the testing and the vaccines. And right. so it was like, quote unquote, wear and tear on the parking lot, which was, was just dirt and gravel. Well, that's what I believe yeah. that's what they did also at Rito. If you go and take a look at Rito, you'll see they redid the entire parking lot. Well, that was a great way to shelve in. I should say shove in. <laughs> a county infrastructure project under the auspices of COVID economic recovery. Yeah, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that's what came out in the news. All right, Joe, okay. another one that fascinates me on your list here is grants management staffing support. Yes. Okay, so this is, I mean, there we know how much, I mean, Pima County's got so much money for payroll. They you know, Under Chuck, we had phantom jobs, remember? Oh, wait, we're going to hit that again. Oh, we're going to hit that again oh, today. Oh, no. Oh, so, yeah. But I, Grants management staffing yes, what they needed $3.4 I believe they were going to hire approximately, I want to say, 30 new people to do all this compliance on all these grants and contracts that they're giving out, right? Okay. My question was this. What are you going to do when all that funding goes away in 2025? Because 2025, 26, right? Economic revenue replacement. What the hell's that? Uh, to actually go in and fund money that you lost. Who's they? Whoever they deem it that they is. So that was a $2 million slush fund, basically. Yes. yes. Then we yes. have an economic recovery marketing of a half a mil, right? Or is that 50? I can't read today. 50, sorry. 50. Uh, we have economic at Job Path 742. Economic recovery communications. We sent Mark uh, Evans 655 to an already overfunded department. So they could turn around and do flyers and all kinds of things on COVID. Downtown Partnership got, what, 25,000. Community Workforce Development... Got somewhere uh, under 600 G's. Now, wait, look at look at how ironic this is. 
Food security initiative, 600,000. Food security programs, 1.8 mil. You, you realize that food security got hit really bad by COVID, okay? It, basically what happened, you know, it's the shortage of, of food. It's the shortage of production, et cetera. And we really saw it come to fruition, especially like in 2022. If you've got food shortages and you're only spending a little over $2 million on them, but you're spending $4 million to renovate a, a, an entertainment property? Yeah, a tired old tired old tucson right yes uh here's here's five a half a mil just was handed to the city of gastronomy for food destination promotion i'd love to see the marketing plan that's so that they could have a nice little event now let's go to the third page here now remember we've got about we got about uh, a minute on this list we've got 316 million remember when our small business commission went before the board and said, we'd like to have a third-party independent review of all of this. And boy, did they get attacked. I okay? remember. I remember Adelita called for an in- investigation. Yeah. Well, let me... I'm calling for an investigation on Pima County. You know why? Take a look at this chart. The county claims that they gave out 271 grants were distributed to small businesses. What's that amount they're claiming they gave out? 3.2 Okay. 3.2 mil to help small businesses out of 316 million. When you do the calculation, what percentage factor is that? All right, I can can read this. Uh, It's point zero zero. Get the Dean Wormer going here. Point zero 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 one percent. Zero point zero. So <laughs> yes. small business assistance. Receive nothing. Nothing. Basically. basically economic. So really point. This is what small business got from Pima County through $316 million. Point zero 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 one percent And, if you'll, small and if you'll notice point. many of the categories downtown, downtown, 4th Avenue, 4th Avenue. What? Weren't there any other businesses around that that needed help or support? Yeah, it's like anyone outside of downtown of 4th Avenue, you can go screw. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> All right. So, Barney, there's a young lady on the phone named Annabella Rockwell. Uh, give, me, give me a little intro. Uh, I'm always fascinated with trying to overcome the nonsense of the left. And I saw a story on the Daily Signal about a mom who rescued her daughter from the woke influences of the college she went to. So folks, we have on the line Annabella Rockwell. And why don't you tell us about your journey? Yes, I went to Mount Holyoke College. It's in Western Massachusetts. It's the oldest women's college in the country. It's one of the first actually of the Seven Sisters. So when the Ivies were men's colleges, the Seven Sisters, the Seven Sisters were founded as the female um, co-parts. And uh, Mount Holyoke was the sister school to Dartmouth. and still is. So what, uh, so when you were a senior in high school, and you said, "Hey, I want to go to Mount Holyoke." Talk about before going to Mount Holyoke. What was what was your what was your kind of plan and dream going to Mount Holyoke? So I graduated from a school, a prep school in Florida called St. Andrews. It's in Boca Raton. It's a small private school. I'm an only child. I was always an athlete. I played tennis. I figure skated very, very close to my family. And I knew that I wanted to go somewhere that was really academic. And I wanted to go somewhere that was in New England and liberal arts so I could sort of explore, figure out what I was interested in. I thought maybe I'd go to law school, maybe, um, you know, just sort of have a lot of options. And if I went to somewhere like Mount Holyoke, kind of the world would be my oyster because it's so academically rigorous. And <laughs> I knew that <laughs> I'd be set up pretty well. What was what was your what was your major when you got to uh, Mount Holyoke? 
I studied history and politics, and I didn't have to declare a major until the end of my sophomore year. So history and politics in a liberal college in Massachusetts. So, well, or liberal well, arts. Well, what? a little different. Well, liberal <laughs> liberal words been commandeered. Yeah, absolutely. So when uh, so when when did, when did you start feeling the not so great effects of being in a, at that university? So I really shifted my junior year. You know, I went to college very eager to learn, very excited, very green. And about two years in is when I really had these. I started to take ideological classes, so gender studies, you know, history, but from the lens of racism and oppression in America or racism and empires throughout, you know, Europe. So I'm starting to learn about the kind of evil colonizer and the patriarchy and, you know, the American man basically being convinced that America is very evil and we are inherently racist. And I'm, this is being um, very impressionable. This is being told to me and I am just kind of buying it. And I end up sort of shifting. I remember I came home one vacation and all of a sudden my mom said that I started to seem this kind of like a socialist robot because I was offended by everything. <laughs> I was upset by everything. I was fighting with her. I was like, mom, you don't get it. You know, you're oppressed because you're a woman. America hates women. Just all this nonsense. But I really, to my core, believed it. And all of a sudden I started to see it everywhere because as soon as you're kind of trained to think from a certain leftist lens worldview, you find it, you search for it. And so you reason with this craziness. Well, talk about uh, a drop about your first year and the, uh, how they influence you, even the haircuts that they made. The, uh, they didn't call you freshman. They used another term. So my first year when I walked on campus, it was definitely culture shock because I was coming from sunny Florida and now I'm in Western Mass and it's very granola. Everyone's a little bit more androgynous looking. They had this, um, so we were called first years. We were not called freshmen because we were not men. We had to be called first years. (laughs) Um, There was this sort of ritualistic haircut called the moho chop and it's where first years would cut off all their hair in the first semester kind of as an act of rebellion or an act of allegiance to the school we also had i remember in my first year actually during orientation i was left a note in my mailbox that said you know don't assume someone's gender she may be he he may be she that person could be non-binary, could be they, and this is 2011. So this was really before I, anyone had ever heard any of these things. It was, we were very much on the cusp of this movement. And so I was like, what in the world? At first I thought it was funny, but then I realized I had to be very sensitive to this and kind of was forced to really think about it and be like, oh, do I need to ask this person how they identify before I speak to them just because they have short hair. Like it was very confusing and you're kind of taught new words and new ideas and everything that you think is black and white. They are telling you that it's not everything's a spectrum. And that was just right off the get go, you know, gender is fluid, sexuality is a spectrum. Um, so that was my first initial sort of culture shock as I arrived. So I'm looking at this, uh, a couple of articles called signs you're ready from her campus signs you're ready for the moho chop <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a, Bab- a babylon b headline uh-huh uh-huh i i remember reading her campus articles when i was at mount holyoke <laughs> so basically if you had long hair as a girl they wanted it cut that you basically you were you're basically looking more boyish is that what the moho chop was about yeah so as a, as, as a university that was created because they weren't letting women into schools, we now become a place where we like our women to look like boys. 
it's very ironic. And we were also the first of the women's college to change our admissions policy while I was there. This was my the fall of my senior year. They changed it. So it used to be you had to be a biological woman to be admitted. And then if you decided to transition into a man on campus, that was fine. But they changed it to you just had to be a woman on admittance, meaning you could have been a biological male. But if you started to transition as a teenager, maybe then you could you could apply and you could get into Mount Holyoke. So they were accepting biological males who identified as women. So you came home. Your mom said you sound like a socialist robot when you came home mm-hmm. for vacation. And what happened? Did was there did, did that realization was in your brain when you went back from vacation, or was, did it take a couple of good more shots to your spiritual noggin to uh, to break out of it? You know, no, it took a while because I didn't realize what was happening to me as it was happening. I didn't know that I was shifting so drastically, but of course my family and then my friends that I grew up with would see it. And in response, I distanced myself. You know, I uh, became so... My, my mom and I had so much tension. We ended up fighting so much. And she's the one person I think that really gave me pushback. Everyone else was kind of like, uh, whatever, Annabella, like whatever floats your boat. And I just sort of distance myself from people I'd known my whole life but my family really I mean for a while after I graduated I was estranged from my mom because when I graduated you know it was now my duty to so part of the moho chop is this idea that like you're you don't want to attract the male gaze like everything is against men so now if you're graduating like it's your duty to sort of go into a work go into the workforce and change it from the inside out from a feminist perspective so you have to be a strong woman with a seat at the table and like show all these men that you're in charge of well like it's not even about equality it's about women being better than men and it's very destructive it's very harmful it really affects all your friendships all your romantic relationships and you know when I graduated I had this burden of I ended up I went to grad school for a year in Spain actually which was a great opportunity but I brought all these ideas over there and Spain is such a you know, kind of macho, heteronormative country. (laughs) (laughs) I was totally miserable the whole time. And the morning I came back and I worked on, which is just, I mean, so silly. So take such a spoiled 22-year-old to to feel that way. Um, But I came back and I worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign. Yeah. It really wasn't until, yeah. (laughs) I mean, of course, hello, seven sister alum, (laughs) Miss Wellesley. But then you uh, the shift didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You caught some. uh, You started watching some videos that had a big influence on you. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, around 2018, I moved. I was I was living in New York. I moved back down to Florida, and I actually moved to work on the Andrew Gillum campaign. Who, if you don't, if you don't recall, he ran against Governor Ron DeSantis. He was the far left progressive candidate who there's a lot of um, scandals surrounding him after the campaign. You can humor yourself and look it up. So around that time, I also made some lifestyle changes. I stopped drinking and I had a totally clear mind and I started to believe in God again. And as soon as I started to accept God, I think a lot of the holes that these progressive ideas had on me, they started to just fall away a little bit. But I still wasn't conservative. I just wasn't as obsessed with the ideology. When did the the God moment happen? When did your uh, St. Paul on the road to Damascus moment happen? The God moment was in 2018. Was was there a specific thing that kind of finally pushed you, got you over the edge back into into the God world? Um, it was a turning point in my life that I realized certain things I was doing weren't working for me. Um, I would say definitely health related, especially I think relying on maybe alcohol as an outlet. Sure. I kind of had a moment where I was outside of a church 
And there happened to be in this church, there happened to be someone who was there who was sober. And I ended up striking up a conversation with a total stranger who didn't drink. And it's sort of that moment in time, like shifted my outlook on a lot of things in terms of health, not yet politics or anything, just the idea of God and maybe trying to have a clear mind to seek God. Um, So I was able a little bit after that to look back and be like, oh, wow, the stars really aligned in that moment. You know, God's always been protecting me, even while I've kind of been all over the world or in certain scenarios, what have you. So I started to accept, you know, a higher power. Um, My ideological and political shift happened in 2020 because I remember being home. This was during lockdown, and I was looking on my Instagram, and my whole newsfeed was a leftist echo chamber uh, during the BLM riots with people saying, burn it down, no justice, no peace, riot is your First Amendment. And I had already kind of gone through this. Like, we had a sort of police brutality, Black Lives Matter movement on my college campus in 2014. So here's my question for you, that after you went through all of this and you made the, and you made the change, so people, parents and, and grandparents are listening to you right now on this show. As they're sending their kids to these colleges, what would be the hard, the hard knocks lessons of Annabella that you would, the top three things that they need to pay attention to as their kid goes to college? First and foremost, you have to face the reality. Most colleges and universities are teaching from a leftist worldview. That is, that's just the truth. So I think really doing your due diligence before going away, what kind of school are you going to? Where is this school? You know, is it faith-based? I would encourage going possibly to, you know, a faith-based university, or I would say stay local. I think I wouldn't have been able to be so brainwashed had I not been so removed from everything I knew. You know, I went all the way to Massachusetts and my whole family was in Florida. So I was really out of touch with them. I think that's important. You know, if you're a student and you're already in school and you're conservative and your professors are really liberal, I would say, you know, probe with questions, but don't push. You know, do all your work, show up, still be respectful, because I think as a conservative student on a campus, you have almost more of a responsibility to do the right thing because there's an automatic bias against you. People just assume that you're maybe one way, like you're sexist or you're racist or, you know, one of the isms. And what's your um, what's your third one? Because we're just mm-hmm. running out of time. Um, I would consider majoring in something that's not political. So maybe the sciences or economics or skip college altogether, invest the money, buy some land, start a business. College is not the only path. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. Take care. Annabella Rockwell. Thanks for being here. Green Valley, Arizona. Dan Shearer. First and foremost, great job on your interview with Dan Shearer. Uh, so well, you're Dan Shearer with uh, <laughs> Nano. Sorry. So I'm so sure. I'm so flustered by the snow, uh, by Chris Nanos on uh, Friday, and um, that was quite a weird roller coaster. You, you, you took a ride you took with that young man. Uh, yeah, you know what was odd first is that uh, poor Bill Buckmaster ended up in the dentist chair, so I was doing that one alone for 50 minutes, which is uh, longer than we normally, um, uh, you know, we'll have a guest on. But he was certainly uh, worth it, and he. Um, I, I thought he was uh, uh, gave us some stuff to chew on. I'll just say that. So. Wow, beautiful, beautiful diplomat uh, shearer uh, from. Uh, <laughs> he probably would have traded places, <laughs> you know. Given <laughs> the difference, difference the between me and the you, yeah, yeah, that's that's me versus you, Chris. You are so. correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will. T- so a couple of things. It, the, I, I don't know if I heard, I missed the third part or not, but did you? You had so much meat on that bone. You you didn't even get to all of his officers being arrested. I don't think. 
no, we didn't get to that part. It was um, it was certainly on the list. There were a couple of things I just could. I know, I know. Uh, the last part of it, though, we did talk about the shortages, and he had he was 150 uh, corrections officers shy of what he needs. 150. Uh, and and uh, hold on, one more deputies. for that one. So, I know. I know. You're and, just going to uh, have to do a part duh. Oh, wait. That was part one. <laughs> was part that, duh. That was, uh, yeah, but uh, I'll tell you, he he came in ready to, to answer the questions, and I appreciated that. I mean, uh, what I what I You're so cute. You, you're like, so cute when you say that. What I... <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to be one kind. to maintain his integrity. Uh, that would be me. So we... we um, what I what I didn't like was uh, the fact that uh, and told him this, and uh, we had some interaction after the the show also uh, by email. But he um, uh, he's got people dropping dead in the in the jail at at uh, pretty high rates, and people have made some comparisons to other other markets. You know, why are we losing so many? And he just flat out said because everyone else is misreporting their numbers, and that is an, a nice easy. Uh, answer. I, I don't, you know, and I, I, I guess it could be the case, but the fact is, you still have an awful lot of people who are, you know, walking in there and dying for lots of reasons. Uh, and let's let's be honest here, Chris. When you walk into the jail, you um, you have problems. You have big problems, and for most people, it's a drug issue, and it is not difficult to get drugs into. Uh, to a jail facility. That was one of the reports he sent me afterward, uh, after that interview. He was just, as an example, sharing with me what it is they catch coming in, and he sent me a report on it, and uh, how how it was caught, and uh, let's just say it's a family show, so I won't go into too All much right, so detail the, of where they found it. Now, that, I want to get to that, because I want to get to the EGETA email, too, because <laughs> that's part of that discussion. So... What I wanted, I was, I was, I was, I was listening to it on Monday morning before I came to the show, and I literally wanted a Dan Cam, okay? And the Dan Cam was just a focus on your face, right? When you asked him about the deaths, and he said, "Well, all these other people in the country, they they don't report their stuff right, right?" And I'm, and he's the most transparent, is basically what he's saying, right? Which I thought right. was hilarious, right? That, that is, that's accurate. Right. Then when he said, well, you know, COVID got a bunch of them in 2021. Right. And then then this opens up a guy who literally lied to the board of supervisors about a guy dying from COVID, but it really was from a methadone mistreatment. Right. So we got that. I just wanted the Dan cam right on your beautiful face now. Right. Right. So then we get to the part with the, so explain to everyone, please, Dan, the David Egeta email to Jan Lesher, please. Well, we're going after another story that doesn't matter right now. And I went and sometimes you're given a bunch of just an email dump and I was going through them and just happened to find this one, um, which is not something we were going after specifically because I didn't know it existed. David Egeta, of course, is the chief of staff for Supervisor Matt Hines, and he flat out said um, that uh, jail employees are bringing drugs in, and that's that's the problem. They are the ones, uh, they're the source of the contraband, and he just flat out says this. And the context was the, the firing of the medical officer for the jail, and Higuera thought that Nanos was pushing for that 
firing just to kind of cover his own butt on the fact that a lot of people were dropping dead in the jails. So, uh, and so is saying, look, you know, don't blame the medical director. The problem is the employees. Now, it's a heck of an accusation, and uh, it's it's a pointed one. It also came up in a lawsuit filed in November against uh, the county over an inmate death uh, peripherally, uh, but it did come up. So uh, we talked about that and uh, just kind of kept hammering it away at it. And finally, Nano said, you know what? It could be. Maybe they are bringing in some of those drugs. So he's recognizing that. Uh, he, his people could be part of that problem, which to, is an honest answer. You have to say that. Yeah. And I said, look, uh, they're not well paid, although they did recently get a, a boost, um, and the morale is really low. It's ripe for abuse. And so you want to make a few extra bucks, maybe that's what you're, you're going to consider doing. Are they the sole source? No, uh, they're, they're not. But Iguera also said, boy, isn't it a surprise that these employees are not checked as they come to work uh, and uh, to make sure that they don't have contraband. Not that it wouldn't be still very easy to get stuff through. So they did just institute a, um, a new policy where they have clear bags, kind of like we have to have at the airport, and so people can see through the bags as to what you have. And I said, well, you know, we're talking fentanyl pills. And he agreed. Yeah, you can stick those in your sock and you're through. So the clear bag to me is almost uh, worthless. Uh, but short of a complete body you know, body uh, check, you know, body cavity search. I I don't know that you're ever going to be able to um, uh, to, to clear the jails of contraband brought in by employees. And you already have people who have low morale. Now you want them to bend over and, and slap a rubber glove on. I, I So my thing is, is that, okay, so there's, a, there's some fascinating, though, I don't know if I misheard this, but after, as you started pushing him on this after talking about the Yegeta email, all of a sudden he's like, oh, we're checking him now, right? And I feel like that Seinfeld where Kramer says he's going to not talk ever again, and he keeps talking, he goes, no, I'm going to start right now, right? And, and that was right. a joke. That was a joke. That was a it joke. Was, it, well, it was a policy that, uh, and I had to clarify: is it in place right now? And uh, if if it is in place right now, Chris, it's been in place for about a minute and a half. <laughs> so, uh, so it is it is brand new. It, it it is brand new. And so, but again, I think he's acknowledging, and we may not like to hear it, that look, that can only be so uh, effective. And he's right. He's right on that. So, um, and again, I want to back up just a little bit because I am most certainly not pointing a finger at the jail employees. I'm saying that there are bad apples because every industry has bad apples. But are they the sole source? Well, of course not. Um, I have a friend in prison right now. Trust me, I hear all sorts of uh, uh, of stories on how contraband is um, is this around that place and uh, you'd be you'd be shocked so there are um 
It's easy to get in there. He's dealing with a very, very tough problem. Sometimes he might be a little more reactionary than proactive, you know, getting in front of a problem. Um, but this is... Remember, he's the guy who pushed the vax mandate, right? <laughs> no, he, no, I, I get I that. I mean, he lost 35 to 80 employees right there. Right, and what we have to look at is not the number that came out uh, at the very end saying, okay, this amount separated from the county because they didn't want to get the vaccine because we know that several dozen people bounced out ahead of time in anticipation of having to get the vaccine. So that's where the real loss was. So yes, we did lose a lot of people, but again, let's come back to that number. So right now he says he's 150 employees short in the corrections uh, at the jail and 30 deputies. So, so the question is, right, so in, in all of this, right, and yes, I, I appreciate that he honestly said it might be coming from my employees, okay? But here's the thing. So if you're, if you're a family member of someone who's put in the Pima County Jail and you have three or four times that your loved one has a, no matter what their problems is, a three to four times chance of dying than the average jail in America, and the answer is... Oh, this is, you know, I'm not saying we we need a, you know, body cavity search everybody. And with the death count that he's got going, right? You the, the, the Oh, then he said that thing about I got 18-year-olds running a quarter million dollar piece of equipment that have been trained for 6 or 7 weeks. Right. right? Why is that an answer of competency? Right. Now, well, I think he's <laughs> well, I think he's speaking to what a lot of us are are going through in trying to hire employees who are, you know, qualified for the job then uh, actually can get through their probationary period and um, can, can, can end up doing it. But the real problem there wasn't necessarily the 18-year-old employees, but also the equipment itself. It's just not that high-tech. And, uh, you know, the, the, the honest answer is that if people want to get a hold of drugs in jail or prison, they're going to get a hold of drugs. It's just the way it is, and addicts want to get a hold of of drugs, and so it's a it's a tough position. I'm not letting him off the hook. I'm not saying there are things that can't be done, and I'm not certainly denying the fact that his rates seem to be a lot higher than other people's. But I'm just saying that drug addicts live for nothing more than getting a hold of drugs. We have uh, Ted Maxwell from Southern Arizona Leadership. Ted, good morning. Morning, Chris. There's a special election going on uh, on May 16th. It's a uh, it's between TEP and the city of Tucson, and so and again they're only having it on May 16th because they want no one to show up and vote and make it easier to get it to pass and not make it an issue with raising fees or whatever when they're all running for a re-election in November, right? There's no other reason to, to run this, there, There's right? always they, a lot of reasons to look at it. Even the RTA, I'll be honest, we're looking, we've been discussing whether it'd be best to get the RTA on in, in May versus in the middle of the 24 election because there's going to be so much else going on. The farther you put in November, it obviously gets watered down. However, to your point, historically, turnouts are significantly lower for a special election, just like they're in the primary. I mean, the primary... We get less than about a 30% turnout in the, in the general. You get about 60 to, to 70, depending on what municipality or what if it's a presidential or governor. The race. 2015 bond election that we murdered there after Chuck and everyone spent 300 grand, was that, that, was that a May? That, 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 no, that was in November. That was November. Yeah, that, okay. one was, that one was in November. Okay. So. And so was that other Prop 4. Mm-hmm. 
the fix the roads thing was that, that was November too. Yep. Yep. Correct. Yep. So I mean, there's there's obviously costs associated with it, and uh, and they they yeah, balance the city it of out. Tucson. And, we don't have any money. We yeah. don't have any money. Let's have a special election for our election because we need to slam it through. Well, it's there's so everybody understands what this is asking. Is it's really two twofold to it. And there's two couple major parts to it, and the two yes. major parts is the continuation of the franchise fee, or the fran sorry the franchise. Um, agreement between the city of Tucson and TP and what the franchise agreement they're pretty standard throughout all municipalities and what it does it gives TP the ability to use right, the Tucson right of ways without having to coordinate for it in advance so it, it helps in both emergency situations uh, quick needs and repairs if you've got down power lines it, they can do that without having any having to go through a process to get authorization to go. Now, if it's a true emergency, they can they can take emergency measures and then fill out all the paperwork later. But what it does, it stream, streamlines a lot of the, what you'd call bureaucratic red tape, because they're not gonna not have the electric company come in and fix the issues or the problems. So that's that's one of the big things, and it, it's... But this it, has to do more with real new infrastructure when you say fix problems. No, 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 this, well, that's, but the what the part that you want to get to right away is the increase of the 0.75 I didn't get there. I just, I just said if this is... But this is, this this, is, this is not... You said it's going to fix things. Isn't this for no, more no, new no, no, infrastructure? No, 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 right aways The authorization of the user right aways in the situation of either emergencies, old... Uh, old infrastructure, things they have to go in and fix. They don't have to coordinate it with the city of Tucson. They've already got authorization because of the franchise fee that they can use the city of Tucson's right of ways. Franchise agreement. You keep saying Agreed. fee. I do. Well, that's because I know you want to get to the money side of it. Don't, but, put, don't, don't project that crap on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We, the, the little pre-conversations we have. I know where, you, I know where we're going to get. Um, I've been very patient. <laughs> And that's so for, from TEP's perspective, that is one of the huge reasons that they'd be supportive of this is, is their current uh, franchise agreement expires in 26. So they could, you know, if, if this doesn't pass in, in May, then they've got time to, again, come back and ask them, because the voters do have to pass the franchise agreement. That's part of the part of the laws and the statutes that are in place. So that's that's one reason they want they want to do it now. They've got to figure out between now and 26. Kind of like I to told you off there is the RTA. We've talked about, do we want to run a May? Do we want to run it in 24? Do you want to run it in 25? You don't want to generally let these things come up against the deadline before you put them in front of the So voters. I think all elections should be in November. That's the way I think it is. That's the way it should be. I, I wouldn't argue with that right? wholeheartedly. It's, and I, no, but if I'm the people that want to slam this through, whether it's RTA or the city, you do it in May. I got it. Oh. You, you, you don't want you don't want that much input from your dirty citizens, so put it in May. There, the I get the it. one opportunity with a May or a, another a non-November election is the ability to really focus on one item. I'm just gonna. I don't know if there's anything else on the, the May election. I don't think there is. I think this is gonna be a one-item election. There will only be now. I'll, the question. I, I, will be, I will. I will give you uh, a chance to take that back because you just said that we get to focus on that. Come on, are you kidding? Um, Please I've, stop. I've, what I've told, stop well, I, I, you know, you're right. Here's the challenge. But here's the challenge. Stop. Depends if the community, the powers that be, that are trying to get these things done, that believe it should be done, they're probably not going to draw a lot of attention to it, like you just said. But that doesn't mean the citizens can't ask. Citizens I, can't I have parlay. sat with people I mean, in the county years ago. Me and Higgins had meetings with them in Rigos in the dark recesses in the early days, and they always talked about May elections is of when course. you slam stuff through that you don't want to mess with anything else, and no one shows up to vote. We talked about that big, uh, the last big bond that Chucky got passed for hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Literally had a 12% turnout. And, and Chris, that's the point. What, if somebody so wants I, thought, some, I thought we want everyone to participate in our, in our wonderful do. democracy. You and I do. We want people to show up. 
We I, we we are correct, and we want them to show up educated. And we don't want the snowbirds showing up either. We we uh, <laughs> November, you're, you're they're back. Um, but the fact of the, the fact of the matter is, all the the people that want this to pass are going to care about is fifty plus one vote. We're talking about the franchise agreement vote that's coming up May sixteenth, City of Tucson, and I feel like they're they're slamming it through because they don't they want as lowest voter voter participation as humanly possible, makes it easier to get things through. Ted, no, no, there, there's no doubt there's the voter turnout if you look at the numbers that show up it's the november elections really it i mean there's so many people that don't participate in the primaries yet they miss the fact that 90 plus percent of our elected officials are elected in the primaries because the way the the districts are drawn or the wards or or or, or issues like that and you put it to a special election which people really don't expect. right so di- redistricting and the idea especially in the city of tucson because we have the citywide voting mm-hmm. so 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 the everybody it's all ward it's if, all primary if they want Primaries is where it happens. I would love to see that kind of turnout all uh, that we have in the November election always, but that doesn't happen. The one thing sometimes you do get more often on the, the special, the, even the primary and the other, are informed voters. So if, if, if we talk about the primary where we know that the parties and the PCs, and they turn out the part, they, they turn out the voters who are active in the parties for the an August election. In August election. Yes. So they turn them out. So it's the same concept. Now you're doing it in May. You're going to turn out those no. people who are Un- active. Untrue. Untrue. It's I, untrue. I, I would bet if you were actively involved and wanted something to get through, you'd be more liable to show up in a May election than Joe Citizen. What happens is the local Democrats I, hit hit the hyper intense, whatever the thing they oh, want, but that, right? They just hit that, right? And they, they, and they get that small amount of nuts to show up and they get it slammed through and they have a nice but, day. But Chris, absolutely. But that's what, so. that's what, that's what campaigns are all about you're not targeting the people but there's no reason again there's no reason for them to do a special election other than they don't want it on their general election and they want it easier to pass through Can we, let's just stop there for now I, I i will fully agree with you they don't want it on the general election and honestly most people who are running anything other than a candidate do not want to be part of the november 2024 election. right because it's got the talks because you could basically say well you're supported raising a tax right that that will be the only bite right. you're gonna in, hear in, in the poorest That's in the poorest one of the poorest cities in this western united states right inflation's killing the place right and you're going to raise the tax and again richard elias god rest his soul would call this a regressive tax on poor people that's what he would he Abs- said it he absolutely. said it in previous times he, when they talked about sales tax if if there's no means testing to the sales tax you bet he's he's going to be telling it's aggressive aggressive tax which it is so let's keep keep beating up the working poor of tucson it's the love show do i need to have the candles in the gong like venus did you see that's in, what i, show? I, I, I that's my fault i should have provided that to I you should have brought that in with me right you got you want to you want to uh you want to provide the best environment for your teammates to succeed and i didn't do that i apologize let's get to these people who fell into the chocolate let's do that all right this is um what do we got here mars wrigley uh, this is from uh, the Philly Voice uh, newspaper, uh, Elizabethtown, Lancaster County. Sounds like Amish world. Lancaster. Lan- thank you. You're correct. In La- Philly, that's uh, or in Pennsylvania. Lan- that's, Lan- that's, how they, that's how they do it. Lancaster. Lancaster. Uh, Mars Wrigley has been fined fourteen and a half thousand dollars following an incident that occurred in the company's central Pennsylvania factory last year when two workers fell into a vat of chocolate. OSHA cited the confectionery company in June incident. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then Elizabethtown. <laughs> Here's a great line. Uh, OSHA said the workers were not authorized to work in the chocolate tanks and they weren't properly trained on safety procedures for the equipment. Sounds like something we were talking about yesterday. Well, <laughs> so the question is, of course, what about the training do you need not to go into the chocolate? That's the part that I'm just... 
just just where does it where does it cross the line to common sense? <laughs> right, <laughs> correct, just right. That. Um, they were they were employed by an outside contracting firm. Had to be rescued when they were stuck waist high, uh, which uh, for their Elizabethtown facilities known for processing cocoa beans, they fell into the partially filled chocolate tank while doing maintenance work. Um, they couldn't get out of the tank. Um, they were not floating in the chocolate, but they were unable to extricate. T- oh, don't worry about TOSD because it wasn't it wasn't sea salt. Uh, chocolate. Oh. Then you would float because of the buoyancy. Correct, but it was too viscous. Oh, I just said extricate and viscous, which just blew up most of the TUSD grads' uh, brains. To free the workers, a hole had to be cut in the side of the tank after the rescue crews ruled out from removing them from the top. What? Rope don't work? <laughs> rope don't work. <laughs> you had to cut a hole? I mean, I've seen every... Now, Augustus Gloob, who fell into the chocolate in Willy Wonka... Like, did they consume a bunch of it? I guess that's the <laughs> question we're asking. They consumed so much they couldn't... Now, Augustus, to- got, he got sucked up into that pipe, though, right? Which didn't happen to these guys, which was great. But uh, when I saw that the rope don't work... That's our new line for the, the, the year. Rope don't work. I'm glad they're okay. I'm just saying, what kind of training do you need not to uh, stay out of the chocolate? That's all I'm saying. It's a sweet story. Let's have a little fun on Valentine's Day. So uh, it was one of those things, um, 25 qualities and a partner that you should cherish, right? So I'm gonna, we're going to, instead of a, between a, you know, two human beings, we're going to say this, this is between you and your, and your local government, all right? Let's see if this works, all right? Let's just see the, the traits that you should be looking for in a mate. Are you getting that from your local government? And let's just see how this plays out. Uh, hold on, I gotta get the the buzzer out because I'm gonna go dinger or, or buzz here. All right. So, and when I'm gonna ding and buzz on, are these the traits that you're experiencing with your let, let's just say local Tucson regional government here? All right. Uh, we'll, we'll say, of course, Tucson Pima County government. All right. Here we go. Number one, they respect your beliefs and values. Um, so that only certain people remember when it comes to their oath of office, they don't think about they're supposed to help everyone in their town, just the people that voted for them. Sad to say it's human nature. Number two. Now this one's a big lose for Tucson and Pima. Are you ready? They help you grow as a person. (laughs) Think about TUSD and Sunnyside. Are they helping anyone grow as a person? All right. Uh, number three, they trust you and you trust them. How about new? Uh, they love all of you, even your flawed, flawed parts. Um, now, this one's tough, Matthew. Number five, they make you chuckle or have giggle fits. Hmm. I guess we chuckle, but it's really a tragic. It's like a, it's like a, it's like the, the it's like Pagliacci. It's the tragic clown. You know what I mean? I feel like. So I guess they do make me. Eh, I'm going to give well, it. Well, you know, sometimes with the chuckle. Is that a chuckle? There we go. See that's that's I think they, that, that they do. That's a wake up Tucson coping mechanism is really what it is, right? So I'm gonna give this Is it a, intentional or unintentional? It's gonna get um they're okay. <laughs> this one's so good. Who knows this is gonna play out so well? This goes to uh all the lockdown nuts, Dr. Cullen and all of you, Adelita. Are you ready with it? Matt, this one's gonna get you. They're okay with an occasional night in. <laughs> they would love for you to stay at your place all the time. Don't drive your car and stink up the earth. Any of oh, that stuff. So great. 
<laughs> don't show up on May 16th and vote for against that thing. They, they, Particularly. They're, they're more than okay with an occasional night in. Number seven, they make time together a priority. <laughs> So you mean having meetings at 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> at Pima County? So no one who works, who has to take care of their family or go to school, can actually go to a meeting? You mean that kind of time together? Uh, Matt, number eight, they have, a lo- they have a life outside of your relationship. <laughs> Does Pima County, do they have a life outside of our relationship? <laughs> Number nine. This keeps getting better. They express that they express why they appreciate you. I keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Usually, most uh, you know, if you're not if you're not in the if you're not in the inner circle of their cabal, right? The one thing that they appreciate about you is your is your wallet. <laughs> You know, you have your, your you have your your credit report. Do you have the ability to make your payments? Capacity, I think it's called <laughs> in the development world, <laughs> right? <laughs> Didn't the county administrator famously say, "Well, just work harder," right? Doug Martin called up Chuck Huckleberry when Chuck used to come on the show and talked about you know the working poor and the added price of you know cost and property taxes, and Chuck gave him the old, "Well, well, my well, my boy, you you're just gonna have to make some more money." <laughs> <sighs> and he no, wasn't joking. Number 10. Remember, what we're doing is we're comparing traits you should be looking for in a partner, and I'm just substituting your local government. They're willing to make sacrifices, uh, compromises. How about new? <laughs> Again, that, see, back to Dr. Cullen's testimony last week. What she showed, right, is... There was no compromise, right? You have that narrow focus of you think you're going to defeat the virus, which you're not, right? All you can do is weather a virus and protect the protect the populations that were really vulnerable to it. But we're going to do this little zero COVID thing and everything else can go to hell. Your, your, your suicidal tendencies, what's those, right? Your business that's now out of business, what's that? Oh, your health is now screwed up because we shoved a, a vaccine in your, in, your, in your arm that we didn't really test that big. And, oh, we're going to tell you 88 years from now what's in it. And at the same time, you, you're not allowed to sue any of us. Uh, we're going through traits in a partner that you should be looking for and applying that to your local government. Number 11, they respect your mom and dad. Okay. Uh, number two. <laughs> Number 12, they inspire your trust. <laughs> the other one was, do you trust them? This was inspiring trust. Uh, this one is a, Matt, I need a Dr. Evil on this one. Are you ready? Tell me when you're ready. Number 13, they admit their shortcomings. How about new? <laughs> Get ready for another Dr. Evil. They, they captivate your interest. How about new? Have you heard these people talk? How can you be interested in anything the dude or Kazachik is saying, right? It's just, I mean, Kazachik just loves to talk, right? If there's a guy, it's like, he's like a, he, somehow, like, somehow, I think he survives on words of his own where you get, I know, like, somehow he spits them out and he eats them again. I don't know how he does it. He just, that's all he does is talk, 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 talk. Rahina, again, not the sharpest tool in the draw. She's pretty boring too, right? But the dude, he's amazing. How do you, how, if, that, if there's a, Adelaide is pretty boring too, but the dude. Dude, <laughs> number 15, they share your vision for the future. <laughs> Trust me, they do not. Uh, number 16, they give without expectation or anything in return. 
How about new? <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Number 17, they don't constantly try to one-up you. <laughs> <sighs> 19, they turn you on. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> they are willing to confront their demons. <laughs> oh, this one's for my boy Huckleberry. They don't let their feelings fester inside. <laughs> That's Now, remember uh, 42 years ago when you said that Pima County... Isn't that good and helping people with their business? Well, you know something? It's coming due on you right now. <laughs> Number 22, they remain faithful to you. Mm. Number 23, they aren't resistant to change. <laughs> My, you know, that buzzer's getting a little stronger. I don't know what's going on. It's like working out an old muscle. Oh, well, at the end, you can hear it. Oh, number 24, Matt. Here's one that they're not even close. Let's let's give me uh give me Inigo Montoya on this one, please. They exercise personal responsibility. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> and then of course 25 is they love you here now today as you are. Beautiful. Couldn't make that up. That's amazing. So, um well, thank you to uh let's see what that was uh let's give some credit to some that was from the greatlifehack.com. He's going to be uh, hosting uh, Speaker McCarthy, Juan Siscomani, and a few others coming up soon. It's uh, rancher John Ladd from NACO. John, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning to you, too. Thanks for having me. Um, give us the uh, the basics of uh, the Ladd family ranch. How long has it been there? How long have you been working it? How many generations or lads are working this thing? Well, it's, uh, we're 127 years. Uh, I'm fourth generation, and we raise beef cattle. Nice. Who's living and working on the on the ranch? Well, my dad's still alive. He's 96. God bless and him. And then, uh, my, yeah, and <laughs> my wife and I and our oldest son. Gotcha. And what kind of cattle operation do you guys work there? Well, we have a crossbreed herd, and it we're raising beef. And, uh, oh, we've predominantly red Angus bulls on crossbreed cows. Gotcha. I also noticed uh, that you're in northern Arizona. You went to northern NAU for a few years, so I don't know if you graduated, yeah. but I am, I am a uh, lumber, <laughs> lumberjack myself. All right. Well, my wife is, and two of our boys are, so well, yeah, go lumberjacks. It's good to see something good coming out of that school. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you're going to have uh, Juan and uh, Speaker McCarthy and a few folks coming to visit you today. What's uh, yes, sir. When's that happening? Well, I'm not quite sure yet because of the sensitivity of oh, it. Oh, gotcha. But, uh, All right, so later today sometime. Sometime today, yeah, I'll get a call, and then I'll meet up with them. And, uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with not only Juan Siscomani, but the speaker for coming down. I, you know, We haven't had any representation down here for oh, four years, probably, from Washington. Uh, before that, we had pretty good events and congressmen coming, but it just fell apart the last four years. And then now all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this is a new Republican group coming in and maybe we'll get something done. So what's the, what's the current state of the border right now, John, in your world? What, what's, you know, what, what's going on compared to the, the previous four years, but where, where are we at right now? Well, the, I'll just say it's out of control. Um, and the part of the problem is the Biden administration has hamstrung border patrol and they're, they're taking all of our agents 
from here at NACO and sending them to Tucson to process the thousand a day of the, the asylum seekers coming from Yuma. So we have half of the agents that we normally have, and it isn't enough. And and so we're probably between a thousand and twelve hundred a month illegals through just our ranch. Um, that that's what's going on here. What um so over the years of having people basically invade your land, uh, what 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 are what are the what are the negative effects that you guys have suffered as citizens? Not just the fear that you. You don't know who's coming through your deer, through your land, but what, what, what's what's the what's the effects on the on the lad family and the biz? Well, the the first thing is, you know, and we've we've got eight miles of the thirty foot wall, Trump's wall, and we've got two and a half miles of the eighteen foot wall, which is Obama's wall. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, that was the last thing he did when he was in office. But anyway, without any border patrol on the border, they they're climbing it and cutting it or they're coming because there's nobody at the border. But when they get in on the ranch, the, the cattle are moving around because they're coming through. And, you know, you sell by the pound when we go to market. But then in the meantime, they're they're cutting my interior fences because they can't climb through them. They'll just cut them. And then they're they're breaking into my water line. I've, I've got 19 miles of pipeline on the ranch. And so I'm losing a lot of water because they come try and get a drink out of it, cut it, break it, poke a hole in it, and uh, that that's the biggest thing. Uh, just a lot of maintenance. Fifty uh, percent of my time is checking fences and waters. What about some ranchers report about having some of the more kind of cartel drug runners with ATVs and stuff? Do you experience that on your ranch? Not what, and we have, but our Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels has a border interdiction team that um, he has stopped the dope on our ranch um, and our county attorney. And <clears throat> prosecuting, that that was a very simple thing is enforce the law. If you get caught with drugs, you're going to go to prison. And that's what happened. So it can be done, but we're we're still getting people, at, you know, around the clock. It's amazing because we live in Pima County with a, a sheriff and a uh, county attorney who has no interest doing what Mark Daniels and your county attorney is doing. So two different you worlds. Got it. Yep, that, you, you, that's a good point. That it, it's just 180 degree attitude. Um, well, the the drugs were the the biggest threat to us. Um, and like I said, it's been five years since we've had any dope at all. And then the, the Border Patrol, is we've got some technology around our headquarters here from Border Patrol that has deterred them from coming to the houses. Uh, and I, I get along good with Border Patrol. My hat's off to them. I, uh, you know, they, they are a stepchild to Washington. That's my opinion. So probably about two or three years ago, I was with Andy Biggs, and he was bringing a bunch of freshman Republicans to do the border tour. And I remember having, I don't know if you were there, because there was lots of the ranchers from southern Arizona. We were at Dan Bell's eating dinner, and there was a bunch of ranchers telling their story. And I remember the question I asked when it came around to me, and I'll ask you the same question, is you guys have been visited by congresspeople, senators, all these bureaucrats, right? You keep telling yep. the stories of woe, but nothing changes. Is that a true statement or am I overselling it? Nope, you're right on. Uh, and I, I think the world of Andy Biggs... Um, 
and I think he's been trying. But the fact is that the border is not about immigration. The border is about smuggling, and smuggling relates to power and money. And when you follow the money, what's coming in from the border, and it'll go throughout the U.S., so what's your uh, per- 100% hope that this would change to 0% that you think it will never change? Where's John's lad's hopes that uh, the federal government will finally do the right thing? Well, uh, Donald Trump's policies on the border, it, it was tolerable. Right. And the, the biggest thing was the stay in Mexico policy for asylum. Yeah, correct. That, yeah, it, it's it's that simple. And then the, the second part, and, and this is my opinion, but we need to have a legitimate work system uh, program, however you want to call it. And, you know, E-Verify and all that crap, it, 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 that doesn't work. And the quotas, I think are sufficient, but, uh, you know, America is dependent on this labor, the cheap labor. Um, But if you had those two things, and then if you ignored the stay in Mexico program, put them in jail. Right. Um, You you broke the law. We we had, you know, everybody says change the immigration law. No, just enforce them. And and they've never done that. we have catch and release. We have all kinds of different giveaway systems for people to get in America illegally. And that's the problem. And, you know, now we're talking about millions of people in the last two years. What are we going to do with them? Where are they going to go? Now, you are right. Every rancher I've talked to on the southern border has said that the Trump four years were at least the most tolerable of the last 20. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you- I'm, I'm hopeful. And, you know, I, uh, I've never met the speaker but i've known juan siscomani for a long time and he understands what's going on and and he he's sharp on the the value of the economy between sonora and arizona and and i am too yeah but we got to draw a line and uh that i believe that i don't know the other three that are coming but um i'm hoping this is the new republicans that are going to get embedded in washington well, I know, I'll know you're, I know you will knock their socks off when they get there. But um, one last question, mildly unrelated: the shooting that happened at that ranch in Keno Springs. What are you hearing? You hearing anything about that? Well, I yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the man, but uh, what I know about it, uh, he's in a drug corridor, and he, he, um, and I don't believe he shot the guy. Uh, he, you know, he, I think he might have shot it over his head, or but he had a gun pointed at him from mules packing dope. And I think he just at the point he he's tired of it. Sure. Well, because they they arrested him and slapped a million dollar band bond on him really fast. So. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the the mentality in Santa Cruz County, and they don't want to uh, let the public know that uh, you know the the rhetoric is Santa Cruz is the safest place in Arizona or the U.S. But the fact is, they got a lot of problems going over there. All right, John Ladd. Well, thanks for thanks for calling in today. We'll talk again. I appreciated talking to you and uh, have a do do a great job as always uh, with these uh, when these uh, city slickers come visit you later. You bet. And I appreciate you talking to me. All right, we'll do it again, my friend. Okay. Later, John. Take care. Bye. John Ladd, Bye. rancher in uh, Naco, Arizona. Andy Biggs, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? Fantastic, Chris. How are you doing? We're living the dream, baby. What are we learning about the balloons? I know the uh, guys on the sweet deal down here, Worldview, were not from the county taxpayers were disappointed they didn't blow up any of their balloons, but uh, for an insurance <laughs> claim. But um, what uh, 
what are we? What do? What are you? What are you hearing about these? These balloons. Uh, we know the ones uh, Chinese. You know, what, are they all Chinese? What do? You, what are you hearing? Well, we 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 only know about the first one, the big one that you know that was that was spying on us. That we let it complete its mission before we took it out. The other one, uh, the rumor is that it was a. Uh, uh, you know, a birthday party for a nine-year-old, and all the helium balloons got out of there, kind of got stuck together and, and wandered up. We don't know. <laughs> we just really don't know. I mean, that's what they're saying. They say they, and when they blew them up, uh, they can't find any of the, the, the debris. You know, you got the one over Lake Huron, and and so they have no idea what that is. Although they said that that didn't look like a balloon; it looked octagonal in shape. You know, I, I, you just. Oh, gosh, but I will tell you the thing that that worries me the most is as we go through these briefings is is the is the inability to make a decision um, timely, logically. Um, so your decision makers are terrible. And in which in, in, in which arenas are you talking? These which which what what kind of decision makers? I'm talking well, both the Democrat policy, the civilian uh, uh, brain trust or lack of brain trust together with the military, you know, General Milley, mm. uh, Secretary Austin. These are people that, you know, Obama got rid of, of, of the conservative uh, generals when he was president. Nobody said a word, but that's what he did. He cleaned out the three and four stars. And now you've got this woke group of uh, incompetence that, that are running it, and they, and they run everything, and they can't, they can't explain things. So when you hear these briefings, Without me being able to tell you what they say, the the takeaway is always, I feel less safe. They can't make a decision to save their lives, and and quite frankly, to save our lives. And that's a rough metaphor, but that's that's what we have to take into account. So we have a foolish man who's the uh, Pima County Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Nanos, in an interview with Dan Shearer from the Green Valley News on Friday. When he asked about, you know, he doesn't take uh, he doesn't take Stone Guard money, right? Because that's the cool thing a lib would do, right? Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. he says, we don't need Stone Guard money. All the drugs are just coming through the port of entries. And it's like, you say that publicly, uh, but no, no one believes you. <laughs> yeah. It's, so that is the, that's the latest narrative lie of, of the left. They say, well, we catch 95% of the drugs uh, at the ports of entry. Well, you know why, don't you? You got dog sniffers. You got x-ray machines. You got uh, density readers. You, get, you got everybody there. So, so when people come through, they take a risk. But guess what you don't catch? You don't catch the young men with backpacks filled with fentanyl and other drugs coming through between the ports of entry. And so that's why Yuma's getting now more runners than they've, they've ever had. Tucson leads the country well, between Del Rio and, and Yuma with, with these, uh, these gotaways in any, any month. So, so, of course, you're not, not catching them because, uh, you, you know, what little we can interdict it between the ports of entry that's they, that gets away. And the other thing that they don't tell you is, even though they, they're catching more at the ports of entry, you're still only interdicting about 12% is the estimate of the total package. So when you could, when you're interdicting more, that's because the balloon is bigger. Right. So that's, that's what's going on. Well, I just saw the, I just saw those numbers that came out of the Texas sector. It was like four hundred eighty four thousand, four hundred eighty five thousand so far. Um, yeah, that they they have estimated have blown through that sector. I mean, uh, that was apprehended. Sorry, four hundred eighty five thousand yeah, right. apprehended. So what, what's 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 the factor, Andy? Do you know that the uh, border patrol puts for every one they catch, how many sneak through? What do you think it is? Is it three? 
they they won't they won't they no longer give that anymore. But I mean, <laughs> the, so so you, they'll tell you what the known Godaways are. So the known Godaways nationally in in January was about uh, seventy five ninety thousand somewhere in that that vicinity. The un and by the way, when they do known Godaways, if it's a group of twenty or more, they just write down twenty plus. And it's recorded as 20. That's right. So and then you have the unknown Godaways, which is at least one to one. Sometimes some people say two or three to one, but nobody really knows because they're unknown. So you, you could have several hundred thousand uh, going up every month. But then some of them are going back down because they're, they're, they're drug smugglers um, and, and they're bringing uh, drugs through. So uh, this, is, this, is the, this is part of the other thing that's driving me crazy is is um, people say, can you work with the Democrats? These the Democrats work with the Democrats. The Democrats won't even acknowledge there's a crisis on the border. They they, they simply don't. And and their their goal is to have a humane, fast way of people who in, illegally into the country. By the way, I don't know if you saw. That. They want to get them into the country as fast as they can. I don't know if you saw this, but Gallup did a, a poll. 800 million adults from around the world want to, want to uh, immigrate into the U.S. or the EU. 800 million. I want you to think about that. That's up from 10 years ago. It was 150 million. Now it's higher. Um, and that's, that's what you're facing. You, you, you will not have a United States of America um, if, you, if this persists. Phil, you're on with U.S. Congressman Andy Biggs. What's up? Good morning. Uh, thank you, Congressman Biggs. Uh, you're doing a great job. I wish we had more of Thank you. you. Uh, Thank my you. point is that I think the Republicans will never win another election of significance unless in the next two years they use everything in their power, state and federal coordinated, to make cheating and criminal fraud in elections totally go away. We need paper ballots, citizens only, watermarked, hand count, uh, audited, the whole deal, because they're just—they are not the Democrats of our grandparents or parents' generation. These people are at war with America. They don't give a damn about anything except winning and destroying America. Sorry to be so strong this morning. You're doing a great job, and I'll take—I'll uh, listen to you off the air. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Phil, I—you know—you you said it, uh, and and I—I I agree. Uh, we have got to get election integrity back and um unfortunately or fortunately much of that rests with the the state so our problem in arizona is is uh looks like chris mays uh, although that lawsuit i mean it, it, i mean it could go either way abe hamada might I, I think abe hamada won that and and uh when that comes out we, we need a state attorney general who will prosecute cases and enforce the law. So there's laws on the books now, so you can enforce those. But the second thing is, if, if our state legislature does not get it cleaned up, we're going to have problems going forward. I, I don't think any, there's any question in anybody's mind. And so um, uh, at, at the federal level, I'm trying to figure out how we can slice um, the HAVA and the VRA, the, the Help America Votes Act and the Voting Rights Act, those have, those have got to be reined in so that states can actually enforce um, their laws to make sure we have open, free, transparent elections that, that are effective. I mean, I was just with Ron DeSantis over the weekend, and he was relating to us what they had done in Florida. 
Well, the difference, only difference is they, we, we have those laws in Arizona. The only difference, they enforced them in, in Florida. So they knew on election night who won. They knew they had, they had, they did what they had to do to make sure that people could not cheat in Florida. Well, that's that's the main thing you got to do here as well. And so, in the end, we we according to my thing, we had uh, Mark Brinovich for eight years. Did, did Mark just drop the ball in many places? Um, y- you know, that's it. <clears throat> I, I, I got your answer right there. So you go back to your <laughs> you go back to your opinion pieces. <laughs> Did you want to answer that, or did you? is it okay if we just say goodbye for now? <laughs> we'll say goodbye for now, because <laughs> I'm, I'm following the, the Reagan commandment. I happen to like Mark, and I think he did a lot of good things, but, but maybe here we didn't get as much done as I would have liked to see get done. Amen. Good answer. Sir, have a great day. Thanks for everything. Thank you. You too. U.S. Congressman Andy Biggs. Crime report between stabbing in the Tucson Mall area, armed robbery at the Walmart on Speedway and Kolb. We got that. Speedway and Kolb? Yeah, they oh, they arrested a guy. Is that Pliskin Heights or what? What, what is that? All right, so I, one of the listeners on Kolb. Facebook, I think maybe he was talking about where it was at, but when we were talking about 22nd Street. 22nd Street, remember, that's Kazakhstan. Yeah, so but this, speed- is, this is Speedway and Kolb. This is more like uh, oh, uh, Paul Sylvania. Oh! Paul Sylvania. That's Paul Sylvania. I think I like it. Mm. Or, you know, then you have Cunningham, right? Kind of like a Tottenham, like an English uh, area. Cunningham. Paul Sylvania, I like. Or I was also thinking, because that's where the Glassman Ice Rink was. I was also going to call it Glassman County over there. But let's go Paul Sylvania for now. He's currently there. There will be better ones. Yeah. We're going to work on that. Uh, Pablo Stan. He know okay. already. <laughs> that, and now you get the leader in the clubhouse. Well played. <laughs> Avis Suxistan, um, the the darkness, the curse. Excuse me. Hashtag the curse has weighed in on the catalytic converter thing. He said, I, "I had the catalytic converter stolen off my Prius, so it's hard to feel sorry for this dude. The cost of a new converter for a Prius is about fourteen hundred bucks." So he also gave us a suggestion for the Cunningham area, right? Because we have Pliskin, sure. we got Kazakhstan. Yeah, yeah. The circle of self righteousness is so perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the place where Rahina and Zach hang out with the circle of self-righteousness right and then um so we were talking about this arrest at speedway and kolb right did and, you say armed robbery did you say that yes Haley. yikes let's I get, did not see that let's see what we got here Ugh. um the man was arrested following robbery tpd officers were called about the robbery at 10 p.m on valentine's day night uh, paul parsons 50 was booked on one count of armed robbery Goodness. That's by Marcos Incahuate over at Kagon 9. Now, um, remember, this is the same one that the uh, the crack uh, fentanyl head lit on fire. Remember two right, Christmases ago? Course. Christmas Eve or something. <laughs> sure. Christmas or the 23rd. Sure. Fixtures roasting on an open fire. So anyway, uh, the curse has... So we're trying to come up with a name, right? So you came up with Paul Sylvania, which is not bad, right? I I already forgot mine, uh, but Pablo Stan. Oh, Pablo Stan. <laughs> so um, he likes Cunningston. Cunningstan. Cunningstan. Cunningstan? Okay. All right. Yeah. Dudistan. probably not bad either. I feel, like, I feel like I'm leaning towards Dudistan. We're getting there. Anyway, if you have a suggestion for the Paul uh, Cunningham area of Tucson that the crime is starting to creep through really hard, please let us know. Seven nine zero two zero four zero or wake up Tucson comments at gmail.com. So. 
Yes, sir. I feel like you're going to say something. Trying to form other ones. Oh, okay. it's, it's not. It's not working. <laughs> Uh, what else do we got here today? Paul Slovakia. You know, there's <laughs> that. But there needs to be another syllable in the middle. All right. We're getting there. Pablo Slovakia. Pablo. <laughs> I actually like Pablo Slovakia, actually. All right. That's the leader in the clubhouse, as we say in the Masters. Tucson, a rising tide of something, as we like to say. Pablo Slovakia is now, the, is unless someone comes up with something different, Pablo Slovakia is it's got good rhythm. Love it. I love it. And let's go right on the phones. Uh, let's start off with our good friend, Congressman Juan Siscomani. Juan, what's going on, my friend? Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, we had a, a good pre-discussion with uh, rancher John Ladd, uh, who was just amazing as always. But uh, ha- what, what, what happened yesterday? Yeah, well, great. Uh, yeah, John is uh, amazing. He's, he's, I mean, he's in the front lines of this, of this situation at the border. And we were able to uh, host here Speaker McCarthy and a delegation of, of my colleagues from across the country, Wisconsin, Oregon, and Virginia. And people were like, well, why, why those states? And uh, the reality is that this fentanyl crisis is hitting the entire country. I keep saying that every state has become a border state with, with this fentanyl situation. And, and they were able to get a briefing along with the speaker. And I know you'll have him on shortly here. Now, this is the, the speaker's first trip to the border as speaker of the House. He's been to the border before, obviously. But as speaker, this is his first trip. He could have gone anywhere else. But he chose uh, Arizona CD6 to come see the situation because it's so unique. It's so different. It's not just families turning themselves in. This particular area in Cochise County are the really, really bad guys that are fleeing. They're in camouflage. And, and it was important for, for my colleagues and the speaker to see that firsthand, get a briefing from from Border Patrol and then hear from John Ladd and other stakeholders on the ground. And it was a very productive day. Well, let's bring him on, uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, welcome to the show, sir. Well, good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for letting me come down and spend some time with everybody. What would you think of the Border Tour? You know, I've been to almost every area of the border, except right here. And, uh, you know, it's having Juan in Congress is so refreshing. This is a guy that doesn't just sit there and say, here's a problem. He's solution oriented, you know, and the other freshmen we brought in, they're all individuals that try to find solutions. And this element of the border, Cochise is different than any place else. I mean, it is controlled by a cartel where others are too, but everyone coming across here is wearing a uniform. They're all, all the way down to the shoes with the rugs on them, right? They don't run up to the border agents to surrender. They run from them. And, you know, it, it has the largest percentage of getaways. And what's happening is what's coming across this border. It's now going clear across the country. Even in my, I'm in Central Valley, California, we're watching fentanyl. And this is what America needs to wake up. Fentanyl is the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 45. And I want you to think for one moment, think of your own life. Your ages between 18 and 45 is when you reproduce, create your family. The ages of 18 to 45 are really your most productive years in business, whatever you're doing, right? In your job. The ages of 18 to 45, if America ever goes to war, that's the generation that defends us in war. So every single day, 300 Americans in that age die. That's like, a, that's like an airplane crashing every single day. If that took, really took place, an airplane crashing, by the third day, the entire country would wake up and said, this has to stop. This is what's happening that's coming across our border. You know, as we toured it, Juan took us through and we watched. 
just the backpacks, the amount of fentanyl that they have found just the last week could kill everybody almost in Arizona. So, Kevin, this we... is the challenge that we have. So, we know, we, we're, you know, there's the overrun of fentanyl. There's, uh, you know, the cartels control the border. White slavery, sex slavery, all of this misery. We know it's happening. It's out there. We see all the videos of people coming what, what you know just coming over in mass why is the country so asleep still to this to this problem why is it just us who th- thinks this is a problem well that's a, one of the problems was who was running washington they wanted to ignore the problem they wouldn't even come to the border they wouldn't even find out firsthand sit with the agents sit with the mayors i mean this is what juan did yesterday we didn't just tour the border we sat with community leaders from ranchers from mayors it didn't matter which party you're in everybody had the same problem because there's a new problem that arises now too it's it's high-speed chases it's the schools being locked down so what we have done with this new majority in congress We're not going to let people ignore it anymore. Not just coming here, but if you watch, we are having committee hearings on the border. So if you wanted to ignore the problem, we're not going to let you ignore it. We're going to have people come testify, have the understanding of who's here. So first of all, we're not going to sit back in Washington. We're going to come to the border, have our hearings. Then we're going to go back to Washington. We're going to move the legislation, and we're going to make sure this all changes. This country cannot sustain itself with what's happening today. We do not have operations control of our own borders. Fentanyl is, it, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. So that should be something that should be bipartisan across the board. Everybody should vote for this. But more importantly, why are the cartels not deemed or, I guess, stigmatized or even annotated the fact that they're domestic terrorist groups? Or foreign terrorist well, groups. They should. <laughs> they, well, they're on our soil. They should be. No, but think about that. They should be. Because for one instance, Mexico does not have control and the knowledge of who's coming from Mexico into America. America does not know who's coming to their own country. The only people who know who's coming in and going out is the Sinaloa cartel. So if they have that much control, we need to define them exactly who they are. They are a terrorist organization that is human trafficking, that is killing people, um, that is moving drugs, that is killing Americans. That's an enemy of our country, and we need to address it as such and really put the effort behind it. So when we talk about solutions of getting this done with a slim margin in the House and where the Senate is, what are, what, what are those issues that we think we can get across, across, across the uh, line here, uh, Speaker McCarthy? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think are a couple of things? that What's the low-hanging fruit of solutions? Well, I would say first and foremost, when you bring the when you bring hearings here and people literally have to listen, because you know who'll come testify? There'll be Republicans and Democrats, and there'll be the people who are living here will show you what is happening to their area. And now you're finding it across the country because every city is now a border city, right? From the fentanyl to the individuals there and others. So I believe, one, you've got to have a stay in Mexico. You can't just have amnesty of people coming through. You've got to be able to have uh, not sitting in the country first. You've got to have the court dates before it happens. You've got to maintain Title 42 because when you do send people back to their country, when they don't come here legally, what happens is it, flow, it stops the flow. It slows the flow of going through. You've got to help the border agents themselves. 
They cannot be processing agents. You've got to have another person who processes, and the agents need to be able to stay out there. You're going to have to have more agents because even in this sector right here, they used to have 4,600 agents when the, the number of people coming across was about 60,000. They're now below 3,400, but they don't have that because they're processing agents, and you're having 250,000. You've got to go directly to China to stop the flow of fentanyl. The president, I had this conversation directly with him in the Oval Office. You need to call Xi and say, stop the chemicals from coming. That's the heart of where this is, and you've got to stop it. In the 80s and 90s, we had the cocaine wars, and we took care of it. Mm -hmm. We went after Noriega and all the groups in Colombia that were selling cocaine or distributing cocaine. Can we do something similar now with fentanyl? You can. And the... You could exactly do that because what's happening with fentanyl, look at your college campuses. It's not, it's not some kid that's sitting on the other side of the track. It's some of your best and brightest. You know, this summer, six kids OD'd on spring break in Florida. That, that wouldn't make news, but you know who they were? They weren't in a fraternity or sorority. They went to West Point. And they didn't go buy fentanyl, they bought cocaine. And the six who OD'd, only four of them took the cocaine. The other two gave them mouth to mouth and started to OD. So this is the challenge what's happening. It's kids on the weekend buying Xanax and others. They don't know because fentanyl is so abundant, it's now being laced with it. This is what's happening in destroying the next generation. And we've got to be serious about it. And what's happening, the border is allowing it to be walked through. We found a backpack just last week. And look, you know the terrain. This isn't a flat land that you just walk across. No. And you know that when you have a barrier, it works. But there's little areas of the barrier that didn't get fixed because you had a waterway. So and for this administration to ignore that is wrong. So we know there's a lack of will to do the right thing. What's the resources that are lacking in relation? Because some people say we should have more of our military on the border. What 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 is what does the resources side look like, Kevin? Well, you need the technology because the one thing is the cartels are making billions. And they don't have to wait every year to have appropriations. They just go through and make it happen. You know, Juan Siscomani, and I want to brag on him for a moment. He's the only freshman that got put on appropriations as a freshman. He's also on the VA Veteran Affairs Committee. And this is because we think so highly of this individual. He's going to have a direct say in how we can appropriate for this. Technology matters. We should utilize the military in the synergy with the border itself, and you should allow the border to do it. Yesterday, we actually toured where you have a UAV that could actually have sensors. We watched them, the pilots sitting in the pods <laughs> on the ground, being able to identify, talking to the border agents at the same time. But it's become a very dangerous situation because of the billions of dollars being made. So what you find is the border agents have to have the resources, but we also have great technology and great individuals that understand within the military. We had, we had a member yesterday that's a former Navy SEAL. He served in Afghanistan. And what are we finding the Biden administration is doing? Taking away the blimps that allow us to have the eyes, allow us to identify. Because what they really want to do is say the numbers are lower. No, the numbers may come down lower, but that's not what's happening on the border. We're losing the data. We shouldn't be removing items from the border that allow us to protect it. We should be adding to it. And that's what we're going to do in this new administration. All right. Now we got to let the speaker go. Majority. Kevin, thanks for the time. You guys need to bring Biden back together. I'd like to see Kevin and Biden do the border together. That'd be fun. I. You know, I've invited him. He's got an open invitation. Keep working him. Keep asking. Thanks for okay. thanks for being here. Thank you. And we have Aldo and Eric. They're from the University of Arizona Racetrack program. And, of course, they are active at Rito Racetrack, which, again, starts another great weekend of racing uh, tomorrow and Sunday, post-time. 
first race for you rookies is 1 p.m. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. Excuse me. Good morning. Good Thank, morning. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, let's start off with Aldo. Aldo, what's your, what's your duties at the track? Uh, during the week, Wednesdays and Thursdays, uh, I help to get I uh, help to get the car together or get the race help to get the races together for Saturday and Sunday. So whatever the product ends up, you know, the races and the horses you get to see, we kind of help that um, put together. And on the weekends, um, I kind of give out like the my suggestions of what horses I think will you don't win. Kind of give out. <laughs> I give out. He's so shy about giving out those <laughs> those uh, those picks. Yeah, well, you know, they do it in Spanish and English, so you know, some because I mean, I've had like it's a lot of people that are like, hey, what happened to this horse? I'm like, I don't know, and I'm like, I tell people, <laughs> definitely, Relito is way harder to handicap than you know a, a California racetrack or a Kentucky racetrack or a New sure. York race. It's way harder because you know. We got the tight, we got the half mile uh, racetrack. So, you know, it's a lot of the times it's whoever breaks on top, you know, it's long gone. So you never know who's going to break. You know, it could be the longest shot on the on the, on the the field or it could be the one to nine shot. So, I mean, even the other day we had a horse that was coming from Santa Anita. You're like, it's a cinch, you know, and ended up losing by a nose. So, I mean, things like that happen. So you have two tight corners. Yeah. And whoever, bre- like you said, whoever gets out first... Odds on favorite because you got to make that you got to make the turns. You might have to make the turns. What about the backstretch? Can people get caught in the backstretch? Is it, it does it happen often? I guess. I mean, it depends. I guess on the rider. Sometimes you know if they make that move early. We had actually in the stakes last week. We had a feeling mare stakes, and I thought a rider made a, a premature move, and he ended up getting caught. I mean, he, it was a, it was a smart thing to do, but he ended up getting caught. His horse got a little tired, but it does happen. Good to know, Eric. What's your duties at the uh, track? Yeah, so my duties are kind of twofold. Wednesdays, Thursdays, uh, like Aldo, I'm taking entries. I'm officially the assistant racing secretary. So basically, um, I help to write the condition book, which is the schedule of races that a horseman can enter throughout the meet. And I've done that through the entire meet. Uh, and then uh, on entry days itself, you help them to figure out what races you're going to use because you always offer more races than are actually uh, going to be run on a race day, Saturday, Sunday for us. Uh, so figuring out what's the best races, what's the most competitive races, where to put them on the card because te- you tend to put your more bettable races later in the card for your you know pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. Um, so figuring out all those things and then obviously Saturday, Sunday is kind of watching and seeing. I also do the charts uh, or chart call on Saturdays and Sundays race days. Uh, and that's basically all the past performance information you see from Rito. Uh, I put that all together uh, with all the comments and, you know, where they are throughout the race, things like that. Make sure it's all looks good. So next time that horse runs, you have that information. So it's interesting how the job of what you're doing and then also handicapping, right? So really... What's challenging about Rito is it's such a mixed bag of horses, right? So explain as a guy who's looking at all the, where are all these, like, what's the variety of horses that you're getting, right, between ages and also geographic locations? Yeah, if you regularly handicap, or even if you're kind of a novice, it is a completely different ballgame than anything you'll ever see. We have horses as young as three. You know, we don't run any two-year-old races because that's the youngest a horse can race, and they don't race in the spring, but three-year-olds. All the way up to 11 or 12, and I think we even have a 13-year-old on the grounds, but last weekend we had an 11-year-old who looked like the fittest 11-year-old I've ever seen, and he <laughs> ran off the screen. It was it was an incredible performance. So, What was the name of that horse so I remember? What was his name? When, uh, was when, when You Don't when Know? When You Don't Know. When You Don't Know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for what a Crocs, great yeah. name. We didn't I know. know. No one knew. He was no like one knew. Eight, 8 to 1, paid $18 on top. It was a... <laughs> I think the exact paid like six hundred dollars, which mm-hmm. is just absurd for uh, Rito. But yeah, you have a wide age range, and 
you have horses coming from a lot of places. You have mainly from Turf Paradise, um, just because they're running more and more. But you do have horses that'll run at Rito one year, wait and come back the next, and wait and come back the next. You'll see many horses who are just Rito only, or maybe some of the fair circuits also here in Arizona that run one weekend a year, and also our fair share from New Mexico, uh, especially on the quarter horse side, and also uh, a handful from California, much lower level horses, but they'll make their way. Golden Gate up in Northern California Bay Area as well as uh, we'll have a few Santa Anita shippers, which is pretty cool to yeah. see. Yeah, we'll even have horses from, you know, Wyoming, Montana, mm-hmm. you know, they're not as often, but they do have some racetracks over there and, you know, they'll ship down here because it's about similar quality of horses. And, you know, it's winter, so exactly. be in Tucson, <laughs> just like humans. Um, well, it's winter, but it's going to be 75 at, at, at uh, post time on Saturday. Oh, Saturday's going to so be So it's going to be the Saturday's best be day of the week. So everybody yes. get out there, get your tables now, and call the track and reserve it. Yeah. So uh, here you are, both young men in your prime, and you're in the racetrack industry program at the U of A. So uh, talking to Mike, your fellow handicapper, you know, he talked about when he was here a couple of weeks ago how he just somehow, people were asked like he like was picking races and people, he had friends and family asking who he liked, in, you know, when he was like 12 or something like that. Uh, Aldo, what about you? How did why why are you in this program? What's your uh, what's your interest or what what inspired you to get into racetrack? Uh, I mean, I guess I come from a like a racetrack family. Like my dad being a jockey, so I oh always, your dad's a jockey. He's a jockey. And well, that's a natural of, transition. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to be a jockey, but you you're know, so tall. That's the thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, too much. <laughs> exactly. That, that's how I was like. Sometimes I'm like, a, I wonder. I got like, that problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was like, well, being a jockey is not probably going to be you know, a thing. And, you know, I've always loved the industry. So I was like more business oriented. So, you know, my, my goal is maybe in the future be some type of one, someone that's in charge of like a racetrack or something like that. But yeah, like since I was little, you know, I love to look at the racing form, handicap the races. I think my vividest memory is when I was like nine years old and I like almost hit a pick nine in Golden Gate. You know, I had, I hit eight out of nine, you know, I was reading the racing form when I was eight years old, and I'd be like, Mom, Mom, look at these horses. And, you know, she'd always sometimes even ask me. She was surprised. She's like, I, what do you look at? I'm like, I don't know, numbers, what they say. I look at a lot of things, and, you know, since then. No no payoff for eight out of nine? No, no, <laughs> no payoff. <laughs> you got to get nine. Yeah. Um, is your dad still a jockey now? Yeah, he's still ri- he still rides right now. Currently, he's working for actually uh, um, as a... Uh, exercise rider in uh, Southern California in uh, Los Alamitos in San Diego for another graduate of this program. His name was Phil D'Amato. Oh, sure. He, yeah, and he works for him in, uh, in the winter, spring, and then late spring in the summer, he goes up north to ride at Emerald Downs in Seattle where we're, we're usually, um, it's our home base. Uh, so he does six months there and six months uh, in, the, in uh, California. Very cool. Eric, how about you? What's your what's your origin story? Yeah, so none of my family's into racing. I was pretty little. My dad was looking for something for me to do. Uh, so he took us took me and my sister to the racetrack, watched morning workouts. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought he was turning you tur- turning you into a jockey. You're like I was a little little. <laughs> well, so. you know that's what I wanted to be um, originally. And my mom crushed those dreams at the ripe age of five. She said, "Eric, you're not going to be a jockey." And that was a whole thing for all of like six months. But then, you know, I, I just always loved the game. I don't. I really can't explain it. I just absorbed it all the information a lot easier easier than everybody else um you know like people want to be like firefighters and you know policemen when football players when they grow up and i was like i want to i want to be working horse racing and my my career what i wanted to do always kind of jumped around because i found it all really interesting um and you know I, i've kind of in the past few years it's kind of crazy how many 
people I've worked with just trying to gain experience and figure out what I like. But, uh, you know, I think now I, I, my my focus is very similar to all those want to run a racetrack someday or at least kind of stick to the, the racing secretary type of thing. Because um, you can just make a big impact that way in the sport. And I've come to realize in my few years with the program that I really care about the health of the industry long term. And the best way to do it, obviously, is being in it. You can't make change from the outside. You know, you know there's, there's so much change that, you know, a horseman or a rider, thing, you know, they can make micro changes. But you can make big changes if you actually put your mind to it. And so that's where, kind where, of my Where goal. did you grow up? Uh, Iowa. Des Moines, okay. Iowa. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Moved to Arizona. Uh, the Phoenix area when I was like 11 or 12. So uh got my in-state tuition, thankfully there, <laughs> moved on down and uh, took, took care of this. But uh, Iowa's still home for me. Um, what's the track you used to go to in, in Iowa? Prairie Meadows, my, my favorite <laughs> track in the world. Oh, Why is goodness. it your favorite other than that's your hometown? Well, I just think it's a, you know, it's just a good group of people. You know, you'll find it, you know, the big tracks are awesome because best horses. And, and Rito's, you know, small and tight-knit community. I think, I feel like, a track like Prairie Meadows or th- a lot of similar tracks in- across the Midwest, they're the best of both. You can get your high-quality horses on the big days. You know, like the Breeders' Cup is kind of the year-end championships for horse racing, and there's been multiple Breeders' Cup winners that have ran at Prairie Meadows in the past decade, um, even though it's not the biggest track. Um, but it also does have that tight community feel. You know, if you go to the track regularly, you'll see the same people every day, see the same horses every day. The horsemen are hardworking. None of them have, you know, inflated egos. They all care about their horses, and that's really all they care about. Love it. All right, let's go to break. We'll uh, visit some great sponsors. We'll do another segment with uh, Aldo and Eric uh, from the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program, working uh, knee-deep at Rito Racetrack for uh, member racing through April 9th. 